So I'll never complain about loud popcorn eaters ever again. I can promise you that. I miss them so much. <laughs> Welcome to Filmcast Podscene. I'm Nathan Platt. And I'm Rebecca Fons. Today's episode is a sweet one. We'll be talking about Alice Gu's documentary, The Donut King, and welcoming film scene patrons to talk about their love of film scene and what they've been discovering in our virtual screening room. We'll keep the conversation about Donut King spoiler free, except to say you're going to want a donut when you watch it. So make a visit to our friends Jamie at Deluxe Cakes and Pastries or Katie at Trumpet Blossom Cafe, who make them on the regular. walk the streets, you'll have no cares. If you walk the lines and not the squares, as you go through life, make this your goal. Watch the donut, not the pole. Nathan, do you like donuts? I do, and I miss them. I'm primarily a social donut eater, and donut-friendly gatherings are infrequent these days. But Alice Goo's documentary, The Donut King, prompted me to get out and procure some donuts for the family. And that's because it's a movie about families. I was working since I was 10. We have the next year helping here. We don't just have kids, we have future employees. You did it, thank you. Growing up with my parents, helping them out, this is the only thing I know. When I was younger, I kind of always thought everyone owned donut shops because my parents owned donut shops. No matter how much donuts we make, it's just all gone all the time. We promise not to drop spoilers, but you're probably already on your guard which is how many twists can one donut documentary hold? The Donut King is a man who found salvation of sorts through donuts. Ted Noy fled violence in Cambodia with his family in the 1970s, resettling in the United States. Soon he was selling donuts, a food that reminded him of his old home and represented the tastes of his new one. But the documentary is about more than Ted. His story is shared among an entire community of Cambodian refugees who set down roots in Southern California and got to work making donuts. Uncle Ted has a very interesting reputation in our family. I don't know much about Uncle Ted. I've only met him once. I don't know much about him. I used to see him a lot when I was a kid. What I heard about him was that he had a lot of money, had a lot of shops. He established a path for Cambodian refugees to actually have an opportunity in America. I love America. I'm so proud that I live in America. I have my freedom. I can do whatever I want. I'm not the only successful Cambodian-owned donut shop. There are many, many out there because Uncle Ted brought us here and they are all hardworking people. So you're going to learn about donuts, but you're also going to learn about Cambodia and refugee resettlement in America and the hustle of running a donut shop when Dunkin' Donuts is looking hungrily at your customers. It's also about the promises and pitfalls of the American dream and how the aspirations of a community transform when they are passed down to their children. Turns out there's a lot to donuts. Chocolate donut, maple syrup, glazing donut, pumpkin donut, Dunkin' Donuts, bars of donuts, sprinkle donuts, football donuts, hazel donut, candy donut, Texas donut, Philly donut, jelly donut, crispy donut, powder donut. 
So Nathan, what is your favorite kind of donut? Oh boy, I, I you know I struggle with favorite questions because I like to like <laughs> lots of things. Um, but put to it, I am kind of traditional on this one. Like I really like the sort of cinnamon sugar. I even I'll even just go for mm-hmm. like a straight up plain donut like that with. A nice yeah. cup of coffee is is working for me, but I there is no donut donut I will say no to. That's for sure. Really, see, I I'm also a very traditional donut eater. Mm-hmm. I I like an old fashioned donut or like a ch- maybe a chocolate old fashioned, okay, or just a glazed. Yeah, but I'm not super into the like bacon maple you know <laughs> unicorn donuts with like a five inches of frosting on top so I because I find I have a sweet tooth but I find donuts you know there's a sweetness to donuts that is very you got to cut it you know yes. what I mean? you got to cut that sweetness so anything yes. that's sort of like pushes that sweetness over the edge is usually a no for me but I will say watching this film I have never wanted a donut more than in my life than when I watch this film the donuts are very scrumptious looking. They they have been photographed beautifully. <laughs> yes. Now so much of kind of donut desire is driven by social media, right? Like how yeah. it looks because people are taking pictures of it and posting it yeah. to Facebook and Instagram and things like that. And so that that was like a real aha moment for me. Well, and I think I think also like there's something decadent about a donut, you know, and the film does a really good job of kind of like talking about how the sort of the history of the donut and like the donut was, you know, as especially in California, which is a very car culture, people would get a donut and a cup of coffee and like be on their way. And that's the American breakfast. Mm -hmm. But the but donuts have really taken on this new form. And and to me, there's something decadent about a donut. And so that sort of like Instagram, social media, like here's a photo, a selfie of me and this just super absurd donut that's like covered in sprinkles or has the poo emoji or, you know, or has it (laughs) it shape a unicorn or whatever. That's part of it. I feel like there's this sort of undercurrent of even recognizing like as America changed, the donut changed and, and sort of like in sync with each other and I even feel like this movie the way they make it is sort of like a donut it's got this crazy poppy energy there's lots of like um, pop culture references and news footage in most of America there's an average of about one donut shop for every 30,000 people in LA there's one donut shop for every 7,000 people donuts are are everywhere here seems like there's one in every strip mall all originated with pet of course, uh, Homer Simpson makes an appearance every every so often. So and the, so the film sort of like has that kind of like sugar rush too. I mean, they're telling a very like you know they're telling a, a, a story about a man. You know, at times a very serious story, but the film recognizes like the candy. You know? Yes, yes, yeah. No, when the film started, I think it was between the the, the snappy editing and the uh, cutting to music and, and all the pink. I was like, wait a minute, did Ed, did Edgar Wright make this movie or something? Like, where, <laughs> like, where, where am I right now? But, but yeah. and, and the whole film isn't that way. That's what's kind of neat about it. Right. Is it really goes to a, a variety of different, different places and, and spaces. But yes, they, they get yeah. that there is a, a candy quality to this. That just yeah, the sort it's a of confectionary. The, yeah. The, sh- the sheer glee yeah. of excess. Yeah. And, yeah, and they, the glee they handle of that well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, I, and there's something I love that's, that's a quote. They have, you know, different CEOs of different, you know, donut companies. And the guy, uh, Bob Rosenberg, who was the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts for a couple decades, you know, he says the ability to pick out your own donut that's a great thing. Hmm. And it feels like that's a really great sort of like 
statement for the film because it's like, you know, Ted, who's this the main character, who's the Donut King, he sort of like chose... I guess he just sort of chose donuts as like he saw his path for success, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he sort of like chose his, like the Uber donut, you know? Yeah, (laughs) right. He chose one donut. He chose donuts, you know, plural. I asked Dean Bowman, my sponsor, I say, I don't think I can raise my family with $500 a month. Then he found me another job as a guest station attendant and also salesperson at the Bill Emporium. Working over 25 hours a day. We managed to do it because uh, when you're poor, when you need something, you always uh, make it happen. So the film, you know, really sort of like shines a light on the things that drive us to be successful, like, you know, determination and and pride and, you know, and our families and things like that. But also in Ted is that is sort of the, the negative side of that is he's, you know, prone to sort of, you know, uh, sort of mm-hmm. addictive personality and sort of, you know, he he really wants to be, kind of be in control. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting r- kind of portrait of a man who had everything and lost everything, but he's not lost at the end, if that makes sense. And that whole kind of idea of like America being, you know, the land where we are free to pursue, pursue happiness and sort of like what... What is that that we're pursuing, and does it does it actually mm-hmm. make us happy when we get it? Um, I thought yeah. was kind of an interesting thing to come out of this. And what I also felt was really helpful or interesting about this is we've been talking about Ted, and Ted is kind of our our sort of sort of you know the thread that connects it all. But there's all of these other people. There's his family. We hear a lot from his wife and his kids, and then other refugees that from Cambodia who came over and were able to get started in the donut business because of Ted. And the idea that Ted is kind of Moses figure, he's sort of leading them into the promised sure. land, but like also really, really, you know, he's human. He makes mistakes, sometimes yeah. really big mistakes. And that that whole like capturing that sort of range of experiences and people was was really neat and not what I was expecting when I sort of sat down and they're, you know, seeing all these great photogenic donuts. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I think like, it, it, it there's a cousin of his at the towards the end of the film I think says something like you know I can say this because I'm his cousin like you know you've really messed up you know or you did you did this thing wrong and I think but but still but then you know again the film celebrates the legacy that Ted has made by giving people opportunity and by helping them and that's really interesting to me because it's like it, it, it the film sort of gets Ted out of the way yes. in an interesting way like we're really following him but then there's a moment where it's really not about him and we start to see the next generation yes. um, or even his peers you know from mm-hmm. his generation who are still running donut shops in California who owe a lot of their success to Ted, but they've made their own success. And yes. I think that to me is a really interesting commentary on legacy because it isn't necessarily about you, mm-hmm. you know, and what you're able to, like w- what you are doing now or what you're able to still do, but it's maybe more about what, you know, the help that you've given along the way. Yes. So I think it's it's ultimately a very positive uh, story about this man, even though he's had his, his ups and his ups and then his downs and his downs. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's very, I think, heartwarming. Ultimately, he's not perfect, but he certainly has made a, a huge impact in not only the Cambodian uh, community in Los Angeles or in, in Southern California, but also in his family and also in America. I yes. mean, like, He's part of the the reason we all eat donuts. I mean, he's part of the <laughs> out donut, of pink boxes, like <laughs> out of pink boxes. I mean, <laughs> right. yeah, there's that scene with all yeah. the the pink boxes and movie scenes. You know, yeah. Pulp Fiction and and The Simpsons. And yes, it's just yeah. like the pink box is you know the ubiquitous pink box. So it's yeah. like he had this huge impact, and that 
doesn't his impact is is no less even though he he has stumbles along the way they are america's newest immigrants the first refugees on their ways to temporary shelter at camp pendleton it's a long flight but uh, it's a comfortable it's okay i just pray to buddha to bless my family to start a new life when we got here it was like early in the morning like two or three in the morning it was so dark and so cold Oh my God, I was scared, really. You're like lost, you know? In terms of a story about a, a refugee and an immigrant, I thought it was, they did a really good job of, of, of kind of giving a sense of like, there are so many stories like this. My father worked every day for 25 years. My parents did a good job providing for all of us. We all went to school. We all got married and pretty much, you know, living the American dream. Sacramento is a really, really great small community. I mean, there's lines out the door because they're so loyal to us and they want to come and supporting us. A sentiment role. Right, right. That American culture is constantly being remade by virtue of the people that are that are coming here and how necessary and how beautiful and, and how vital that is. I mean, that if, if, yeah. if, if we don't have that, then that's then what do we have? We don't have donuts, sir. Yeah, right. At the we very least, donuts. we don't have donuts. <laughs> um, so yeah, and you know, I, I before the podcast, I just wanted to see how many donuts people eat in America, and I, I read, and this is even old data, so it may be more, but I heard that the the average American eats sixty three donuts a year. That's five point two five donuts a month. Yeah. Do you eat that many donuts? Well, now I'm going to try, now that I know that's the <laughs> average and it's okay. <laughs> well, and I like that it, that's the average of like 5.25. And that's because after you've eaten five donuts, you can only eat like a quarter of right. another donut. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, my hometown of Winterset, Iowa, there is a bakery. And it is like, I can close my, I could draw the whole place and I can like smell the smell. And, you know, this amazing donut smell. And also just like have this memory of being a kid and going to get donuts. And it would be early in the morning, like before school. And there would be like farmers with their like black coffee yeah. and their, and their old fashions. And it's nice. just like, that's, that's, it is America. And it's yeah. like, you know, the donut, the donut King, the film tells us kind of how we got there, but also this story behind the story, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah. So The Donut King is available now in Film Scene's virtual screening room, courtesy Greenwich Entertainment, and is free to Film Scene members all November. Actual donuts not included. There are a few different types of Film Scene patrons. Those who come to see a movie every so often, maybe during Oscar season or when we have a buzzy title they've been hearing about. There are those who are regulars, typically catching a movie or two a month when their schedules free up. And then there are the Uber patrons who come to everything. The new releases, the special events, the rooftop series, the fundraisers, everything. We love all of our patrons, but these Uber patrons are special because by logging consistent hours on site, in the seat, and in the lobby, they become part of our film scene family. They know who they are. Maeve Clark, Joe Dadarian, Ed Hunter, Patrick Muller, Joe Cantor, James Pops, Nathan Platt. 
They are volunteers, they are members, they are sometimes even podcast co-hosts. We wanted to talk to some of these Uber patrons because they are missed in person and, true to their loyal form, have been tuning in to Film Scene's virtual screening room since it started in late March. So today we're welcoming them to talk about the Film Scene films they've been discovering virtually and what they look forward to most when Film Scene does reopen. First up is Jason Eggie. When I run my weekly box office reports, if there are any pre-sales for a title, I know Jason is one of them. Jason has seen over 500 movies at and with Film Scene, so I know choosing just one film to talk about was probably pretty difficult, but he was up for the challenge. Jason, welcome to Filmcast Pod Scene. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, I'd love to hear um, in this virtual watching period a film that you have seen in the virtual screening room that you really enjoyed and that you really uh, liked discovering. I'd like to give some attention to this Disrupted, which I think was one of the first in your new iteration of of the virtual screening room. Yeah. The, the Disrupted follows three subjects, a farmer in Kansas, a laid off factory worker in Ohio, and an Uber driver from Florida, all navigating econ- economic insecurity after a fundamental change in their traditional means to make ends meet. Great grandpa bought this farm in 1904. But what you see around us is five generations of history. What brings me here is corporate greed. They shut the plant down that I had 12 years in. We're going to show them how we rebuild stronger. This is Cheryl with Uber. Are you at the blue terminal? My career was in the mortgage industry. When the market fell, that's when I fell into this. Each thread, particularly the farmer for me, culminates into something quite raw and emotional. This film touches on many themes listeners may have seen in last year's Academy Award winner, American Factory. Which would make an excellent pairing. That would. I hadn't even thought about that. I think the disrupted. It, it's such an interesting film to watch now because it's sort of like showing what what life was happening, what was happening with like the gig economy and the economy like pre-COVID. So now watching it during COVID, it was sort of really depressing, but it was also sort of like a snapshot of history while history was changing. Um, and a snapshot of like who we are as Americans and what our economy is as it is going through this enormous shift. Exactly, and I, I think you're 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 right that the COVID uh, really does give it a new uh, nuance mm-hmm. that it may not have if we weren't experiencing COVID at this time. Yeah, I, I, it makes me wonder what films are different. I mean, I think, Nathan, we've talked about this so much, I feel like on the podcast, like, we'll be watching a film that maybe even is like 20, 30 years old, and we're like, wow, this is a really like relevant COVID film. And so all of these films have taken on new old films and new films have taken on new identities and new meanings because of COVID. And I'm just I'm there will be film thesis papers written about this, like for years to come, I imagine. Yeah, that's a great point. Just last episode, we were talking with Hannah Bonner about how watching Gene Hackman's character in The Conversation this isolated, really socially awkward guy just resonates differently when you're watching it today. Well, so with all of those those movie going experiences, you certainly have like a favorite thing about film scenes. So, you know, we will reopen one day, you know, it will happen and it will be fantastic. And so can you share with us something that you can't wait to get back to at film scene or you can't wait to experience again? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to having people fill their spaces again. 
running into the projectionists working that day or the staff uh, working the counter, chatting about business, the, lady, the latest movie news, or what someone may have seen recently, whatever comes up basically. I look forward to the people adjacent to the movie watching as much as I do the film watching itself, or even more actually. Yeah. Yeah, I will give you props in that you sometimes know movie industry news before I even do. <laughs> and it's really great because, you know, if a film is acquired at a film festival or if there's a bit there's a big sale at a film festival or a film festival changes maybe their programmer or a movie opens like under expectations, I always know that you'll know about it and we can kind of like geek out about it together, which is a lot of fun. That's what I absolutely love. I appreciate it. Yeah. Jason, what is your relationship to, to film going? I've been a, a film lover pretty much my whole life. Um, and what I do for a living kind of helps to inform how I see the film industry. Um, very analytic, data-driven, you know, um, kind of diving deep into the mechanics of, of uh of how a film is made, who the actors are. Uh, when I'm watching films, I'm studying them. I'm, you know, if I see an actor, my my mind is uh, thinking about what other films they've been in, uh, what the director's done as I'm watching the film. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like comparative literature, but mm-hmm. for film. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And and what do you do for a living? I'm a I work. Uh, at the VA Medical Center in the yeah. administration of the pharmacy department. That is really, really neat. I mean, both that job and then also that idea of carrying it into into how you engage with film and how you think about those re- the, the relationships among films and the people that connect them. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. I, I do data work, data management as part of my job. And yeah. I think uh, following film and setting a calendar for what I'm going to watch is very data-driven. Yeah. 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 Yeah, having that, like, kind of type A data-driven, yeah, like, plan. Very, yeah, yeah very planned, very, like, coursed out. I appreciate that. Because it's, yeah. and it's how film programmers, like, work, too. You know, I think that's the reason you and I often are, like, we can really, like, you know, film down, you know, bro down mm-hmm. together on that stuff because it is very much like it is a calendar. It is cyclical. It has it has seasons. It has eras. Yeah. It has times, and um, and that's really really fascinating. And um, and you also have a really um, robust letterbox account, right? That you you do reviews of I films do. on your letterbox. Yeah. Mm. Yep. I I chronicle everything I watch. It's fun to to follow the the people I listen to on different podcasts, the local people that I know on Letterboxd. Hmm. I'll come into film scene and somebody might say, hey, I noticed you know you watched uh, this movie two days ago and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, or I might ask them, what, yeah. did you, what did you think of this movie that you you know, put on your Letterboxd? Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. great. Well, as such a moviegoer, um, I'm curious to hear if you have a favorite moviegoing memory, and it doesn't have to be film scene at all, just your favorite um, time at the movies. My grandparents owned a cabin near a lake in a small central Minnesota town, north of the Twin Cities. Uh, The small town had a one-screen movie theater, the kind that would show Snow White re-release one week. But you don't know what I've been through. 
and all because I was afraid. I'm so ashamed of the fuss I've made. And Rambo First Blood Part 2 the next week. He's hung up. What do you mean he's hung up? What happened? He's being dragged. Life, <laughs> cut him loose. I can't breathe him. And we would go every week. And then during the week, we'd rent three to four movies from the gas station on the edge of town. Uh, so I remember seeing Ghostbusters at a very young age, maybe too young. <laughs> and I tailed it out of there immediately after the librarian ghost jump scare. Mm-hmm. Shh. <laughs> All right. Okay. The usual stuff isn't working. Okay. I have a plan. I know exactly what to do. Now stay close. Stay close. And then I did go back a week or so later to see it for the first time again. So that may not have been my favorite film-going experience at the time, but thinking back, uh, that is one that I'll never forget. And that that librarian's really early on, so you really skated right away. <laughs> I didn't see much. I remember that I remember that scene in Ghostbusters, and after I had seen it the first time, and I knew it was coming, I would always cover my eyes and plug my ears. So I'd cover my eyes with my fingers and plug my ears with my thumbs, because it was so scary. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you'd watch me watching a, a scary film that's film scene, I would often be covering my eyes with a hoodie or watching the floor until the release of the of the scare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go back to watching the story. Yeah. But as soon as I think something's going to be frightening, I will stare at the floor or hide my eyes because my physical reaction is, is intense. Uh, a bit much you're just being careful yeah you're just being careful and i i love horror it's a the genre is a great uh through point for young directors Mm -hmm. young actors uh it's a great way to to talk about societal issues so i love the genre and you've, you've found a way to cope with the, the scares of the genre. <laughs> I have, exactly. Well, those are that's a great film suggestion and a great memory and really something to look forward to when we're back open. And, and thank you for being such an incredible film scene supporter and, an, and, a, and a film lover and, and a now a guest on our podcast. It is absolutely my pleasure. Thanks again. Jason, it was great to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Look forward to talking to you again. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Tom Karzner was one of the first people I met when I joined the film scene team over three years ago. His enthusiasm, his curiosity for film, and his willingness to see anything and everything we have on screen means he's always in line for a ticket, always sticks around for a post-screening conversation, and is a film scene booster through and through. Tom has seen over 400 films at film scene. Tom, welcome to Filmcast Podscene. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to uh, talk to people in this format. Well, we're so happy to have you. And it's true, you're one of the first people I met, one of the first patrons I met. And I remember when you walked away, a colleague was like, that's Tom. He's awesome. <laughs> um, so I know you've been watching a lot of films during this uh, this virtual time. And so we're curious uh, about a film that you've discovered that you really enjoyed. And if you could tell us a little bit about us about it. Well, with a, with a sense of anticipation, I was looking 
forward to seeing Guest of Honor by uh, Adam Agoyan. And uh, it's because I'd seen so many of his previous films, which I, a few of which were really uh, brilliant, Exotica, Sleep After Adoration. And so I felt that I'd be, you know, confidently in the hands of a, of a good trusted storyteller. And the question was whether this film would return him, you know, to his previous brilliance. All I want to know is if that's the truth. He was messing around with her. So we started messing around with him. I think sometimes people, whether it's right or wrong, come to an arrangement. He's a kid. What's wrong with you? I can never believe that my daughter was capable of such terrible crimes. Everything you've done, everything you are, that's what's wrong with me. It's up to me to find this person who spread these rumors, these awful rumors, and this grew. Uh, my verdict is not quite his previous brilliance, but still pretty good and better than uh, many uh, other films. I'm not sure if it was before or after or maybe during uh, seeing this. I, I went, I think Criterion, Criterion uh, had uh, a series of his former films and I reviewed you know, several of those and, and also a few uh, that I hadn't seen, a few of his earlier films that I hadn't seen. Uh, so you know, that, that gives a, a perspective and a, and a well-roundedness to the whole to the whole experience. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like sometimes either having a filmmaker who I think uh, Yorgos Lathimos is a good example. Like you know, I'd seen so many of his his more contemporary films, but then I was like, oh, I actually haven't seen some early stuff, and he has some short films, and like Criterion or you know, movie or somebody will do like a kind of a deeper dive into one of these these uh, auteurs, and it's really fun, and it really does inform the movie watching when you see their new films and you kind of see how they're building or deviating from what they've created before. Yeah, it makes me wonder uh, how much filmmakers are aware of that pressure because, I mean, we've been in this space now for decades, but there was a time when after a movie left the theater, it wasn't that accessible to to people short of re-releases and retrospectives. And now, right, like you can see something and go, okay, now I want to see their entire back catalog like today and I can. Yeah. And even their like obscure short films or their or interviews with them, you know, from the Berlin Film Festival, like you can really kind of do a deep dive immediately. Yeah. And that that's one of the few advantages I, I can see in the COVID time of uh, <laughs> accessing uh, online uh, to go out to the theater or, uh, you know, or have other distractions as well. Well, so Tom, you come to film scene often and, um, and you know, on, for new releases on Friday night and then special events that we have. And, and I'm curious, what is something that you're really excited for when we reopen? When that, when that glorious day comes, what's something that you've been missing that you'll be excited to experience again? I do miss the sound is, is one major mm -hmm. thing, uh, especially in the, in the largest uh, uh, theater at film scene. Uh, I just still remember some of the first few movies and he was almost shaking my head in wonder. Right? <laughs> I was, I, and I have some loss of hearing and wear hearing aids anyway. Uh, but with the new theater, I was just able to pick up things and uh, just get tuned into 
certain sounds that I hadn't been able to hear that well before. And it, it really adds, all, you know, certainly it's, it's even a physical experience uh, when you have really good sound. Uh, and that's so that that's the major thing that I think would make a difference to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the larger screens. Uh, I mean, we all love the Pedmall screen, but <laughs> but but can't beat that big one though. But, that big scene one screen. That's right. But even the big screen, screen. It, it does make a difference. Uh, no matter how large your screen at home is, uh, you just can't beat the size of the screen. And and again, it's 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 nearly a physical experience. Uh, to take in a film uh, with that audio and, and, and video both. I am 100% with you on that. The experiencing of sound in the size of a space of a theater is, is also part of it, too, akin to the, the, the size of the screen. Like hearing sounds in a larger space gives you a sense of that world that you just can't really replicate any other way at least not that i'm aware of so i miss that too yeah i i our uh, facilities director ross will be really happy to hear that you miss the sound because we we call it ross volume you know he really he really likes to do it i mean it's the volume that the the, the distributors and the filmmakers wanted to be at you know but sometimes people are like wow that sound is really coming through but i love it too and it makes me even emotional thinking of that response is so beautiful tom because it's like it is a physical experience and you do pick up on things that it just becomes immersive it become you're surrounded by the film through the sound and um and you just can't capture that at home as good as your as good as your speakers and your tv are or whatever you know you've set up some like kind of super screening room in your living room it's it just doesn't beat that experience and even all the little sounds around you of the people you know, chewing their popcorn or laughing or, you know, that's just, you can't replicate that at home. With all of your movie going, do you have a favorite movie going memory? And it doesn't have to be film scene related at all. Some of my favorite memories go back to uh, uh, graduate school uh, in Kentucky. And uh, it's an old grand, I'm sure 1920s, 1930s Kentucky theater in Lexington, Kentucky. And it was definitely showing its age but that's where all the good movies were were showing and i was able to keep my uh my love of of film and i would i would go there just because it was a a beautiful old uh uh movie theater uh and broad i assume broadway vaudeville theater back in the day as well and um the sound wasn't that great, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it was just a. Uh, but they showed the good films, and again, uh, I'll I'll travel most anywhere if need be uh, to see the film that I want to see, and uh, that that enabled me. I, I was able to keep up with my uh, with my love of film, even though I was away from some of my home circumstances. When did you sort of determine that you were a lover of film and how did that, (laughs) how did that path unfold? Probably back when movies were on the network channels, uh, it became a a pretty big event, uh, to watch, especially with my father, just in the last couple of weeks, there was a reference to, uh, the train, which is, uh, I think it's John Frankenheimer, like Burt Lancaster. And uh, 
my my earliest memory of that is watching it and on TV, and there were plot points that I couldn't quite catch, so I always had to ask my dad, uh, you know, what what was that, or why did he do that? What's going on there? What the hell is going on up there? Dieter, you idiot! You get those switches working. We have got to get this train out of here. I'm tired of your inefficiency, Dieter. You know, this would be in the '60s, uh, probably when they again when they were still showing them on the networks, and it was just a big event, and. Um, because it would take a year or more for it to come out of the out of the theater to get onto the movie screen, and you couldn't go to all the movies, or I just didn't go uh, to the theater as much. But but having that experience uh, with my with my family uh, was probably where a lot of that started, and then you know with a little more independence, um, I. I'm old enough to remember the Anglert when it really was the Anglert <laughs> before it was broken into two theaters uh, and uh, and was wide open. And again, you know, there were midnight shows there and and other and other uh, films and, and experiences that I remember in the Anglert, which you know that was our biggest theater in town, and it was uh, uh, it was the place to go when there were big movies. Uh, so I, I continued it there and, and just always, you know, from I really probably from the time as a teenager continued to uh, to seek seek out the good the good the, the good movies in the good theaters. You're talking about watching films with your family on TV and then that kind of leading to interest in theatrical exhibition. And it reminds me of watching Wizard of Oz on TV and actually watching a VH, VHS tape they had recorded it off of television so wizard of oz with like the billy the billy jean uh, pepsi commercials within it um <laughs> but like watching that with my cousins on the couch in my grandparents yeah. house we're off to see the wizard the wonderful wizard of oz we hear he is the wizard of wiz if ever a wizard yeah, those, of oz those are can be really transform transformational experiences yeah. i remember when i was a kid we had the VHS and it was like the VHS that popped up, you know, from the top, of course. And we had a um, uh, Godzilla movie on VHS that had come with a pack of popcorn. So like the VHS, <laughs> oh. you, I mean, I think you probably like every once in a while there would be like that special, which is such a silly thing that they would do. But I, I always remember <laughs> the, the VHS box was in the it had the red and white stripes of like a popcorn tub and it was sort of bigger nice. than the VHS. And I just always remember that VHS then always just rattled around in the box because the popcorn, of course, had been popped years before. And it was just, and I love, I mean, I loved Godzilla when I was a kid, but I just, that is a very, very like crystallized memory of in my mind of, of watching that movie at home with the family and the popcorn had long been popped, but the box remained larger than it needed to be, so. <laughs> Well, Tom, it's so great to talk to you uh, virtually. We look forward to having conversations with you again in person at Film Scene. And thank you so much for the support from day one with Film Scene and, and continuing during you know 2020, which is a crazy year, but there's still movies. And thank goodness for that. Well, thank you. And like I always say, I, I, I want you guys to uh, not just survive, but thrive. So that's why I continue to support and, and will continue to support you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Sure. Good to see you. 
Next up is Jamie Ellis. Jamie is a 24-7 film scene uber patron and a member of film scene's real representation committee. She regularly comes to late shift at the Grindhouse, is back early in the morning for a committee meeting, and will catch a double feature on a weekend. Jamie has seen more than 600 movies at film scene. Jamie, (laughs) congratulations on that (laughs) distinction and welcome to Filmcast Pod Scene. (laughs) Wow, I can't believe I've seen that many movies, period. <laughs> I know, it's, it's super impressive. I mean, but think about it, like you come to Picture Show and Grindhouse and new releases and special events. I mean, like, it's, you did it. Wow. Yeah. We got to work yeah. on a, re- we got to work on a really cool, like, leather jacket for you. Yeah, that would be, that would be so sweet, actually. Yeah, we'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Um, well, thank you so much for watching all those films and continuing to watch films during the closure. And, and we wanted to hear about a film that you've enjoyed during this closed time that you've, you've discovered in our virtual screening room. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about, well, so it's kind of like an event slash movie. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. uh, Vino Verite was like a huge thing. It just seemed so like elite and fancy, like for my <laughs> life, I guess when we were, um, doing things in person way back in the olden times, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. But for you guys to bring that back recently, it just kind of like, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> like um, Just a slice of normalcy. And um, we watched The Mole Agent and mm-hmm. it was just such a beautiful film. So I was just gonna talk about that a little bit, I guess. Yeah, yeah. please do. I love The Mole Agent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The mole agent is just out this um, elderly man. He's in his 80s and uh, he sees an ad in the newspaper um, for um, someone who's looking for a man of his age to come and audition for this role, basically. And so they, um, he goes and he's like kind of perfect. Like, I feel like in the, in the beginning of the film, when you see him and they're like showing all these people that they interviewed, you just know that it's going to be him without knowing yeah. how it's going to be him. <laughs> yes. The, yep. Like um, my, <laughs> my friend and I, we were watching it together and um, I was like, oh, that's definitely the guy. Yeah. He was just yeah. the way that he talked and like everything from the moment you meet him till the end of the film, you're just like in love with him. Si llego a este trabajo, no voy a tener ningún problema, porque yo soy el que me rayo yo mi cancha. Yeah, he's everything. And so that's that's why I like that film, because it just, I feel like I was worried when I started, when I figured out, oh, he's going to go into like a nursing home and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was really worried that it was going to be about elder abuse. And like, I was just like, mm-hmm. oh no. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually quite the opposite. In, I, I loved it. I just thought it was so beautiful. So yeah, yeah. I spent that whole movie. I had like a big smile on my face, like my like my cheeks kind of hurt yeah. after it was over. But I also like super cried yeah. because there's just so many sweet relationships that he builds as he's like infiltrating this this um, nursing home, this senior living center to see if there's abuse, you know. But it 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 you know no spoilers. Like you know, there's a lot of joy there. So. Um, I just, I thought it was so delightful and I, and he's so 
great. I mean, he's like central casting. Like he truly is the perfect person and he's so charming and yeah you just fall in love with him i like when he arrives at the nursing home and we're seeing other people sort of taking him in and talking about him while he's like having his lunch or whatever he's like sort of it's like it's like middle school lunchroom where he's kind of eating by himself and everybody else is like wow like he looks really put together like i think he's got all of his marbles and stuff it's gonna be like really fun talking to him yeah yeah, and it was so fun to bring that back for Vino Verite and, and like, kudos to Andrew and Tommy and the rest of the film scene team who, like, we did, like, you could you could pick up your wine or you could have wine delivered. You know, there was a, a still a wine selection with uh, with the film for that series. And um, and it was, su- it, like, sometimes, you know, Vino Verite and any films that we present at film scene can be kind of, like, you know, dark and deep and, like, or troubling. And The Mole Agent truly is, like, a joyous lovely, heartwarming, kind film. And so it was like a perfect fit for the return of Vino Verde. We will be back at film scene, you know, one of these days we'll, we'll get there and we'll reopen and be back in, in earnest. And I'm curious to hear what you are really excited for to experience again at film scene. Yeah, I mean, so I was thinking really hard about this question because, um, it's, it's it's a tough one because I like I mean six hundred movies like I <laughs> obviously go to a lot of things there. Um, um, I really missed this summer. I missed the rooftop. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really excited for that to come back. There's just something so amazing about watching like a classic film um, at like under the stars, like. It's like the cool, the cool summer breeze, like the whole yeah. thing, the whole experience mm-hmm. is just like, yes, it's so good. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's what I'm excited for. Yeah. And, and I feel, I mean, you know, and you know, you don't want to like make predictions. If I've learned anything in 2020, it's to not make predictions, but I feel like summer 2020, 2021 is going to be, it's going to be possible to, to do that again, to meet so. up on the rooftop. And, and, and I also love the rooftop um, for so many reasons, but one is that like, you know, there's only about, what is it like 40 seats up there? Yeah. So it, it feels mm. sort of like a club, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, there's only a few of us that made it in and they always sell out. And, and I also love like, if I've been like, I'll do like an intro for a rooftop and then I've got to go, you know, I got to leave, but you can hear it down on the street. So you can hear, yeah. like, you know, I, we showed, like, Terminator or something, yes. and I was like, I can hear the T2, <laughs> you know, like, doing his things. It will have only one purpose. To return to the present and prevent the future. Um, so that's really fun. And, and sometimes you can even see sort of the reflection of the screen, like, bouncing off kind of the other buildings and stuff. It just really makes yeah. you feel, it's like city, city living, Iowa city living. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Yeah. Do you have a favorite movie-going memory? And it doesn't have to be tied to film scene. When I was 12 years old, my dad took me to see Rocky Horror Picture Show at the Englert. You've seen all kinds of movies, but you've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I feel like it was like my first and most absolute like rush with weird rocky horror picture show is wonderfully weird and i was like oh my god i didn't know that people could live this way like i didn't realize that things could be 
this out there and this fun. And I feel like from that moment forward, I started becoming who I am today. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, yeah. And it was just like, because, uh, you know, I'm from small town Iowa and like, we came to Iowa City, which in, in my heart was like the big city, yeah. you know, and we came here and we stood in line and people were dressed up mm -hmm. and like people were just having like the best time. I got to throw things at people <laughs> in public and uh, yeah, it just changed my life. That's amazing. That, yeah, that is, a, I remember, um, I actually did not get to go to this showing, but when I was in high school, I had a friend, so I went to high school out of town and I grew up in Ann Arbor, which had a theater kind of like the Englert, actually, mm -hmm. that was showing Rocky Horror. And he asked if I could buy him a ticket to Rocky Horror um, on, on his behalf because I was I lived there and he didn't. Yeah. And I went up and they said and they said, OK, well, you know, just so that you understand, like there will be this, there will be this, there will be this, there will be this. And you cannot do this, this and this for like basically <laughs> the safety of the, the theater. And I was like what happens at these movies? Like I, this was uh, sort of similar to you. I had no idea that, that like this existed. It was, it was mm -hmm. fascinating to learn about and, and to yeah, obviously see and stuff. So yeah, very cool. Yeah. I, I also grew up in small town, Iowa, Jamie, and I, I went to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. There was Billy Joe's Picture Show, which was a movie theater in Des Moines, which does not exist anymore. Maybe it does actually. Um, but Billy Joe's Picture Show and they did Rocky Horror on the regular. And like right after I got my driver's license, my mom said, you and all your friends, she was like, you do be the driver because you're the responsible one. And you can all go to see this movie. And I we did the dress up thing. And I, I think I had caught it on like TV or like a, a sibling was watching it, but I'd never seen it all at the same time. And so we all dressed up and we all like piled into the minivan and we went. And I just remember feeling so... Like, this is what adults do. Like, this is adults. This is adult movie going. And this is what my life is now. And they get in the car and they drive and they like, you know, park the car and then go to this movie theater. And it was, yeah, they throw the stuff at the screen. And pe and there were people there who clearly came week after week after week. Um, mm -hmm. And it just felt, I felt like that moment where I was like, I have arrived as an, as an adult. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. I feel like everyone's probably got a Rocky Horror like picture show story. I hope they do. I hope everybody yeah, has one. Yeah, me too. I really do. Yeah. yeah. And in, the Ingler does Rocky Horror still. I mean, obviously COVID has yeah. changed, but they do the Rocky Horror show usually. So it's it yeah. it lives on. The power lives on. The power of the weird lives on. <laughs> <laughs> and and Jamie, do you do you have a sense of like is it the Rocky Horror film going that made you such a movie lover? It, it, you know, that made you such an that's avid a, moviegoer? That's a good question. I feel like um, maybe, like, my my love of cues, like, my love of being in line <laughs> and, like, waiting, like, anticipation of waiting for something that you're just, like, I can't, like, I can't wait to get inside. Like, I love that. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people, like, hate lines, which I get, I get that, too. Yeah. But, like, I love waiting in line and, like, talking to strangers and, like, just getting a feel for what the night's about to be yeah and like just not to like do a shameless plug or anything plug away. But, like like honestly film scene sort of like re renewed or like 
I don't even know if maybe it like brought out like a love of film that I didn't know that I had mm-hmm. going to the downtown space at first the welcome sort of like home feel of it you're just like whoa I felt like like I was seen there you know like um and just like the whole experience of that it's way different than the experience of like of going to like the, you know like the Marcus theaters of the world and like seeing the big blockbusters like there's just something about it that I was just like I didn't realize that I loved film this much I didn't realize that I that I loved like just like being on top of things that maybe other people didn't know about or something I yeah. like, it really like opened that up in my in my brain I think that's amazing that's like yeah. the best thing ever I'm gonna cry that's so great (laughs) I mean but how amazing that there are spaces where it's like I didn't I didn't know that I loved this thing until this place showed me the way you know and and you 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 were film lover already because you had these like moments in your life but like film scene was like home it's really special I mean I think that's why film scene is a special place because like there are patrons like you and we have relationships and like, you know, it becomes a little bit more special every time we see each other. Yeah. So now I'm going to I know. <laughs> <laughs> we can all just cry together. That's okay. <laughs> well, thank you for being such a special patron. And like definitely when you get to a thousand movies, there will be some sort of ball drop situation happening. <laughs> um, uh. We can aim for like 20. Let's see if you've seen... 600 and you know like five-ish years like we can get we can get there you're over the hump you're over the halfway hump to it right yeah Yeah. thanks jamie yeah it was so good to meet you jamie thanks yeah you too thank you to jason jamie and tom and to all of you for your support as you probably know film scene recently made the announcement we won't be reopening yet in 2020 So if you're listening to this podcast, watching films with us, picking up curbside popcorn, or renewing your membership, you're helping us keep the lights on and keep the faith. Join us for our next episode, where we'll discuss Thomas Vinterberg's latest title, The Boozy, Another Round, and the award-winning documentary, Born to Be. Until then, happy Thanksgiving, and happy watching.